feel like something bad is going to happen to me. I feel like something bad has happened. It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way. It's important, like how it helps people, like dealing with their loss, like making up stories about ghosts or whatever. Alice kept secrets. She kept the fact she kept secrets a secret. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast. My favorite podcast, as we learned last week, Matt Ruff's favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week, and especially this year, we are discussing what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And uh, guys, he was here a minute ago, but he said he needed to go stow something in his safe real quick. And I... I didn't know he had a safe, but you can never be too careful with your prized possessions, I suppose. Um, But I am getting ahead of myself, and this movie did not invite much of a levitied uh, uh, insertion there. So we're just going to move right along with the safe comment. Uh, Because here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain. When you try to explain the joke, it falls apart, Nathan. Except for right now, when I explain that you, listener can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch The Fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find Reed. Hey, buddy. Hey. How are you? What's the story, Nathan Rouse? You're going to push a little girl down the well? and You (laughs) You totally took my joke. You totally (laughs) took my joke. It's written on here twice, and I decided I wasn't going to use it at the top because I was going to save it as one of my questions. It's like, oh, you're going to push a girl down a Lake Mungo, and you can't get up and sing, you know? You can't get, yeah. Yeah. You're not going to bear your cell phone out there. You're just going to, you know. Lecky. (laughs) Read Lecky. There there it is. Lecky Mungo. There it is. Lackey Mungo. Read, read Mungo. Yeah. That's you funny. Know, I started watching this movie and I was like, I, 
This is a very, uh, very serious movie, but I'm okay. really having flashbacks <laughs> to The Leftovers. And, well, because uh, The Kevin, Leftovers is such a lighthearted romp. Oh, it's just hysterical. <laughs> Kevin, you know, it's, so it's funny. You had- you Poop on 16 years of marriage. You pooped on, on me, me Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> he, he never asked me to poop on him. <laughs> I am so ready to do battle with you. Mm. Um, what's interesting, you know, I was reading, I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the TV, the book where they count down the top hundred and you had mentioned that maybe, uh, you know, the, the authors there might've included the leftovers in their, in their top 10 or at least Mm -hmm. high up in the list. They did not in fact include it because, and I found out why, because there's a chapter in there called works in progress and they Mm. mentioned the leftovers there. And mm. it's because at the time that they wrote this, they they knew like, hey, there are shows being made right now that were we publishing this book two years later might have made the Pantheon. So they included a chapter of current works in progress and The Leftovers had just finished its mm. season two. So they, oh. they mentioned it there and, you know, heaped a bunch of praise on it. Uh, but yeah, so I, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, Little Leftovers Love. It is it's interesting, been a lot of time there, So there it is. That's but uh, we're not there show. now. Uh, do, no. we, do we have any... Do we have any business time? Do we have anything that yeah, the listeners need? Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, time. Well, Reed, I don't know if you've been uh, paying attention, but we got a new feature over at the website. We do. We've got a new feature. Da-da-da-da-da. Thank you to guest Asia Schwarzenegger for just kicking the door down and being mm-hmm. like, "Hell, Satan!" Oh, I was like, "Whoa." whoa. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's a little much. A little much. It's Rosemary's baby. Um, <laughs> wow. Oh Lord of mercy! You just see like a the Karens out in the world being like, it is Rosemary's baby, not <laughs> Satan's baby. <laughs> all of the things right now that are going on in that time. moment. Uh, oh, but boy. no, um, Asia, thank you for just kicking the door down. On our Afterthoughts blog series, uh, just, you know, you and I have been talking about this for quite some time, actually, um, as just one more means of, of kind of engaging some of the ideas that present themselves, not just in the films we discuss, but in the discussions we have about the films we discuss, right. and just given a little extra breathing room for some of those thoughts. Uh, thank you to Asia for, for starting that, kicking that off. Thank you to Reed for Candle Cove. <laughs> and... Thank you to uh, Matt Ruff, most especially, for Session 9. Everybody, most especially. But it's a real treat to have Matt be able to contribute in that way. Um, So, yeah, I would say keep on the lookout for more afterthoughts that will, uh, as best we're able, continue to be a feature of the the fog, as it were. Um, uh, uh, Leave an iTunes review, you know? Yeah. I mean, golly, you know, I guess now that we're putting out new material for you, you know, just (laughs) come on. I like these guys. Oh um, my gosh. Their afterthoughts are funny. Um that's that's the business I got. That's what, a, you know what? You got that, any business read? No, no, no. No, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I I I really just I kind of just at this point just want to know what you want. Do be do be do. Boop boop boop. What are you listening to? Boop boop boop. That's the bubbles coming up at Lake Mungo. That's a bubbles. <laughs> bubbles. That's terrible. No. No. That's <laughs> yeah, terrible. No, no, no. No. We're going to put you that one back. A little in girl, then I will. No. Uh, no, no, no. But no, seriously. 
What you been watching? What you been reading? What you, what you been listening to? I like that you said that as though I didn't think you singing the way you did to me invoked seriousness. You're like, but seriously. No, no, as but, though but seriously. I was already on a serious track. Yeah. Thanks to I your song. It. I get it. Appreciate it. Speaking of serious read. <laughs> <laughs> which I often am speaking of and am. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not that serious that often. <laughs> really. <laughs> I am inside, that? but I think I don't know. That's that's. This is turning maybe into for a later. real existential yeah, yeah, moment yeah, yeah, for yeah. you. Like, well, I was entertaining, like sharing a work story that was funny, but eh, whatever. It's not that important. But what have I been watching? I'll 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 keep it to your question here. I won't deviate too far. Riri, you know what I did? Nene. What'd you you know what I did? What did I? What? Oh, oh. In a mask, <laughs> with only about half a dozen people. As uh uh, uh they sang in Annie. Let's go to the movies. I went to the movies. That's awesome. I went to the I actually theater. in the theater. Wow. In the theater. Wow. It was weird. It, yeah. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't broached that subject yet. I wanted to wait until I was like fully vaccinated and everything yeah. felt a little bit more confident. But uh, but yeah. So I haven't. I haven't well, been back to the theater. T- the scenario was one of my wife's friends. What's really funny about this is. My wife will indulge watching movies. Like, mm. you know, if I'm like, hey, we should really watch this. Mm. She'll watch it. And, and you know, especially if it's a thoughtful movie, we'll have conversations about it. it doesn't love, like, just frivolous entertainment. I took mm. her to um, Age of Ultron way back when. She did not respond kindly to it. And I was like, never <laughs> again. <laughs> MCU later. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Turns out she might have been right. Um, about Age of Ultron. <laughs> Sorry, Ethan. But wow. uh, so many, so All many. All the shots just... <laughs> fired. Everything, man. Pew, pew, Nathan pew, is pew, just pew. coming out. Please, glory. Like, I'm... I'm trying to compensate for where this movie is going to go. Um, oh, I get it. I'm just so like, anyway, what's really funny about this is uh, in a general sense, like take COVID out of the conversation. If okay. I were to say to my wife a year ago, hey, guess what? Godzilla versus Kong is coming out. <laughs> Don't you want to go? She would have been like, no, thanks. no, yeah, <laughs> that is not a choice I'd like to make. That is not a way I'd like to spend time or money or life. Sure. And so what I kind of love sometimes is she has this very dear friend who is a huge movie fan. Okay. Of which in this case, I'm not referring to me. And the friend's husband did the whole rent a theater thing. And it was just oh. so amazing watching this. My wife who is an incredibly generous person with her, with her time. But it was like, <laughs> it's like the number of what, if she'd have made a list of the way she could honor this friend for the birthday, it would mm-hmm. nowhere on it would have been like, go watch Godzilla versus Kong in the in theater. theater. Right, 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 right. right. In a public space in a pandemic. Yeah. But she's <laughs> like, I guess this is what we're doing. And so I really got to enjoy the experience of tagging That's along. Awesome. To my yeah. wife's friend's birthday experience, and our ten-year-old came, and we, she, and I were just scarfing on movie popcorn and watching that's Titans awesome. pound the tar out of each other, and that's, uh, that's yeah, awesome. it was it was a lot of fun. The movie itself is utterly brainless, but it's fun. You know, it makes <laughs> no sense if you expect anything sensical from the narrative, but it it delivers what it promises, which is giant sure. things beating each other up. Yeah. It's funny. I watched that uh, film on its HBO Max release yeah. with my father-in-law. Shout out, Ned. Um, <laughs> and 
and we uh, we watched it. the 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 ladies in our lives indulged about half of it before they just decided they were going to go to bed. Sure. And uh, and so he and I stayed up and just and and yeah. Just, I mean, it was which is funny because the first half of it is boring. It's kind like of, there's not yeah. a whole lot that you know. Yeah. I mean the big ocean fight, but okay. but that's only like two minutes, you know, or like or like you know three to five minutes or whatever. But that's it. It's not until you really get to like, you know, I didn't realize this, you know, was like kind of a journey to the center of the earth kind of thing. But you know, what's but, weird? But, what's weird? So I've seen the Cranston Godzilla. I've yeah. seen King of Monsters. I have not seen Skull Island yet. Oh, that really? Said, that's my yeah. favorite of the four. That said, I started or I watched GVK. DOJ. You oh. oh no. <laughs> Nathan is on. Love. Fire. Love. Nothing but love. Nothing but love for the Snyder Cut. <laughs> I loved when we released that in my post, which is like, guess what? <laughs> Snyder Cut. <laughs> guess what? Snyder Cut. <laughs> Y'all never see this coming. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, GBK. I've not seen Skull Island. GBK makes so little sense. I thought that it was picking up threads of Skull Island, but it clearly isn't. Well, I don't know about clearly isn't because they I mention, mean, they mention I Hollow Earth in Skull Island. Okay. But yeah. I thought Rebecca Hall and the little girl were definitively character holdovers from Skull Island. Oh, no, they're not. <laughs> I know <laughs> okay, that. Yeah, no, no, I know. But, yeah. but that's how much I thought in Media Rest the story was. It's like, uh, okay. Oh, I don't know who these people are, but yeah. here we go. Yeah. The Kong stuff in GVK is very much like sort of like you just kind of like what? What are, what are they doing? I will say though, man, like honestly, no, of I, the of the four films, Kong Skull Island is is my personal favorite. I think it's the one that sort of is the most rewarding. Um I I like them all. I enjoy them all in sort of a, a different range, but it, it's it's not work for me to go back and revisit them. And honestly, like duking it out at the top, which is ironic given the Godzilla versus Kong, but is the original Brian Cranston one, the first one, because I think I find that film very strong. Um, but uh, Kong Skull Island is my is my favorite of the bunch. I, I like it. You should give it some time sometime. I love how our my Charles Holloway, he's like, okay, I, I, I'll take a paycheck. And yeah. uh, Godzilla Kong, he's just like, y'all going to green screen me, right? I'm just going to do my <laughs> I'm just going to do my Chandler thing. <laughs> for two for two scenes in five minutes and that's it yep you know 500 grand or whatever he gets all. paid yeah, yeah yeah that's all all right so that's that's uh, what i watched that's what i did okay. went to the theater ate some popcorn watched the movie all right well okay i know listeners are probably getting kind of sick of, listeners yeah of me tra- wow co-host <laughs> apparently as well i mean getting, getting at a certain of- point it's like you just you just like Guess what, y'all? Yeah, I, I read more. Lack, um, of the, lack of the librarians up in this mofo. <laughs> lack of the librarians. <laughs> and we're so, all like, shh. <laughs> Stop talking about it. Like, geez, we get it, okay? Go ahead. All right. So, no, 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 no. I'm going to cast aside the seven books that I've written down as potential eventual, you know, watch and read and listen to or whatever. And I'm going to talk about a TV show. 
I'm gonna talk about a TV show that I've that I've been checking out. Only reason I all was, nine seasons of it since last week. Well, the <laughs> well, the reason that I almost didn't bring it up now and maybe was going to reserve it for a later insertion is because I am not very far into it. I'm only uh, about the first season into it. But there's a show that debuted on Canadian television and has now been brought to Netflix. At least the four, the first four seasons have called Kim's Convenience. Have you heard of the show? We watched the first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the it, you've seen the first episode. So the premise of it is it a it is a Korean family who run a convenience store. Uh, I am remiss. I've watched the first season and I can't remember where they are located. It's it's not in like a big metropolitan area that I'm aware of, but it but it's in the city. Just, just move they on. live above the uh, they live above the convenience store and it's a family run business. Um, the father and mother are the primary. Uh, you know, owner operators. The daughter helps out a lot while she's not going to school. And then their son, Jung, is uh, estranged from them for some reasons that the show makes clear as it progresses. Um, and uh, what I love so much about it, there's so many things. I thought it was charming. I thought it was very, very funny. Um, one of the things that I love about it and was worried about before I got into it was I was worried that their Korean ness was going to be the butt of most of the jokes when in point of fact it's not that through much of the series although admittedly their accent can enhance line deliveries in very comical ways they never make uh the fact that they're korean uh, or at least not that i've seen in the show thus far that's never like the cheap butt of the joke it's the the Comedy is still rooted in characters. It's still rooted in situational dynamics that sometimes is directly related to their Korean heritage, but not in a way that I feel like denigrates them or just uses them as a cheap punching bag. Um, it was also really fascinating to me. I, this this is a kind of a strange thing to bring up, but it's in that you've said you've watched the first episode mm-hmm. that there. Like, it's not overstated or ever like this big moralistic thing, but the Christians. And regular churchgoers. And that comes up throughout the season. Like there's a couple of plot lines that revolve around their church, their local church community and, you know, opinions of people, et cetera, and stuff like that. But Kim's Convenience, which uh, I, I know I shouted out for Godzilla versus Kong, but also uh, my father-in-law directly introduced me to Kim's Convenience because I, I asked mm. him, I said, hey, I'm looking for... Mm. Yeah, and I said, I'm looking for a new, fun sitcom show, and he talked about a few things, but then pretty quickly we landed on, like, and he, he was very insistent, like, and I'm, I'm thankful for it, like, I want to show you Kim's Convenience, because I really think it's a great show, and I think you will respond very strongly to it, so we wound up watching, he showed me the first couple of episodes, and we wound up watching most of the first season while we were hanging out together, so that is what I have been watching, Kim's See, Convenience on Netflix. I, he, yeah. it, it, you wh- can't. It, what, at huh? least try Ted Lasso. I mean, you just said, "Wow!" You asked a, a I've learned beloved, now. a beloved person, yeah, uh, for for input on a sitcom esque, you know, yeah. fair. Yeah. And I've been trying. I'm like, have you have you seen have you seen Ted Lasso? But see, the, one of the biggest differences is that like I'm wanting to wait on Ted Lasso for reasons that I really don't feel like unpacking right now. <laughs> I'm wanting to, you know, like, I'm wanting to, you know, like, what I love about it is, no, Reed, 
don't don't uh, share a book. We're tired of you sharing a book. Share a TV show instead. Okay, no, no, no. no problem. That's share, fine. It's how you ended show. it with. I was in the mood for lighthearted sitcom fare, and my good yeah. friend, whom I'm conversing with, well, is, since you called it has out, been. <laughs> So, no, no, no. You you put the dime in. So since you called it out, <laughs> since you called it out, I did also, and I don't think I mentioned this earlier. I did uh-huh. mention to my father-in-law in our conversation that I was looking for something that was multiple seasons. Now I'm not dismissing oh. Ted Lasso, but I did that's say a, like because a, we had just finished. It's convenience to leave that out. <laughs> well, well, no, we had just finished watching Desperate Housewives. Desperate Housewives oh. is like eight seasons, yeah. and it's 23 episodes, so it was like a long well, haul. A lot. And I, and I, and you know, Kim's convenience is nowhere near that, but I did, I was said, I'm looking for something that will be a bit more of a, Hey, this is going to be okay. the comfort thing that we put on for longer periods of time. And while Ted Lasso would definitely fit that blip for like a few days, Kim's convenience will be an ongoing yeah. thing for probably the next few weeks. So, you know, there's, there's that. that, but, but is there anything else that I need to, to comfort you with or you got, or do you just want to, you know, I'm go sorry, this, this movie just, just. Heavy, and I really don't want to go to Lake Mungo. Um, <laughs> okay. But I guess that has been another awkward installment of what you're watching. What are you reading? I'm not good enough for Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even finish. I just killed Whoa. the song. <laughs> to One of these days. I'm not days? even going to text you about it. I'm not even going to text you about it. I'm just going to watch gonna the whole first season. You're going to send me the Ted Lasso of him dancing. And then, and, be like, and, then, and I'm going to start dancing. Yeah. Or I'm just going to, just one of these days on one of these episodes, I'll just be like, have you seen Ted Lasso? And, I, and I actually thought know. you were going to do that sometime recently. And I was like, nope, oh. just another book. Lacking a librarian. Wow. I, you know, <laughs> I'm loving I'm loving the way that my oh, see this is what this is taking me back to my junior high school days. <laughs> Four eyes reading <laughs> You know, like oh, what do you do to do? Read? What, uh, you gonna read? What are you doing, read? Read, like, oh, read. Oh, it's in the name. Oh, 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 Reed's reading another book, huh? What's next? Cup, you know, cup with a donut, what's next? You know, like what are you gonna do? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Um, what's really funny is you have no idea where some of my, my thoughts are going on this movie and you're, you're like oh. feeding right into them. Oh. Um, that's, that's how it goes. So read that was, we, we did that. Um, <laughs> that happened. I think it Fun was just, for all just therapy, you know, for, for <laughs> listeners, <laughs> like clearly Nathan is self-conscious about how much Reed reads and <laughs> Reed got picked on a lot for feels, it when he was in feel, high school. Feels a little insecure that he's not taking his recommendation for Ted Lasso. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Loud and clear team. Oh um, <laughs> I love you. I love, let's just put it out uh, there. Whatever no. comes after this. Yeah, I love yeah, you. Yeah. Yes. Uh. I appreciate that. Um, so like Mungo. Oh, we need to intro this. See. Oh, yeah, we should. Oh, my gosh. I almost forgot. Yeah, so so sorry. So sorry, Hunter. So this was another installment in our start- ongoing series of... <laughs> Daddy's started fighting again, Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> the kids leave the room. Um, but, you, can uh, you can go back. But uh, this was another installment in our hashtag What Scares Us uh, series that we're doing all through uh, this year. 
Uh, we'll be pivoting over at some point to the hashtag what saves us, and that will probably be uh, here before we know it. But in the meantime, we are still here, and this week's submission was given to us by lin- listener Hunter Robinson, um, who uh, it, it was actually something I'll be completely peek behind the curtain confessional is that Hunter actually submitted this relatively recently. We have other things that are programmed, uh, but I was pretty curious to go ahead and get into this, and and based on Nathan's reaction to it, maybe I'll come to regret that. But I, I said, like, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's pull this forward um, and kind of talk about this now. Um, so, But we also, as we have been prone to do recently, we invited Hunter to share some of his thoughts audibly with us. So we're going to give him that opportunity right now. So, uh, Hunter, share your thoughts on Lake Mungo. One of the more recent movies that made a big impression on me and is absolutely chilling is Lake Mungo. For me, the combination of grief and terror has never been more effectively executed. It's a quiet film filled with haunting images and it's easily my favorite faux documentary style film. The style is used perfectly to make you feel the grief that the characters feel. For a small, low-budget movie, it is astonishing how powerful it is. No other horror movie has made me feel the way Lake Mungo does. It's a heavy movie about the tragic loss of a child, but it's an unforgettable experience that I would recommend to horror and non-horror fans. Thank you very, very much. We are uh, yes. tremendously appreciated the opportunity to to talk about this film, and um, and and thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on it. So, uh, so yeah, Hunter recommended to us Lake Mungo. It's a film I had seen, but it was many years ago, and this was my second viewing of it. And really, the only thing I could remember about it going into this viewing was that it was a faux documentary style, you know, like I, I I was going to make this weird thing where I was just like, Oh, you know, maybe mockumentary is not the appropriate term. Maybe folkumentary is, but I was like, no, we're not going (laughs) to, we're not going to do that. (laughs) No, no, we are not. I told, I tried to cut that joke from the lineup, and you just insisted on throwing it back in there. Just, well, barrel documentary. Right <laughs> Golly! <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a so so. Back to it is like the film is set up, uh, and it never unveils any different conceit. It is like if you watched this, and we're not kind of in on the joke. Um, it it looks and feels like not a joke, but it looks and feels very much like a documentary. That's you know that, yeah. but but it's completely fictionalized. Um, and so like if you did not know that it was completely fictionalized, um, there's nothing in the film per se that would clue you in automatically. Like they don't pull back the curtain at any point and just sort of reveal that anything. Like sir, there, the reason I'm pointing that out is because there's another film we're not talking about it, but there's another film called The Last Exorcism. And The Last Exorcism also has that feel of like, oh, this is a documentary that we're putting together. And by the last like third of that film, they veritably abandon the the mm. conceit and, and just sort of begin telling you the story. And it becomes a bit more Blair Witch Project by the end of it, where it's like, oh, now all the craziness is going on and we're just watching the narrative unfold. Whereas this, Lake Mungo specifically even right up to its closing credits feels very much like it's structured with the conclusion of a documentary and like it was meant to be a documentary kind of uh, feel to it. So, so I, that was all that I knew about it uh, from my previous viewing of it. I wanted to know from you and maybe this will sort of take us into it. What did you know about it, if anything, and then sort of describe the encounter of it or any sort of pre-prep work, 
or, or you know, the experience of watching the film? I knew nothing about it. And in fact, when I started it, I intentionally did not <clears throat> read the synopsis. I, I to the point that I um this is going to sound weird, but you know, you go to the landing page um and this instance this was on Shutter and mm-hmm. I went to the landing page and and didn't read it, but you know, your, your eyes will just naturally catch a word or two. And I did catch foe. And so oh, it starts it. Okay. and not, Oh, foe. And, um, <laughs> it starts and it goes into the docu style, but the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was like, I'm pretty sure I read the word foe there because I was right. just like, this right. is very straight and, yes. um, yes. Leans hard into its conceit. Um, I, I found it very challenging, not uh, challenging is the wrong word. Mm. Finding myself on its wavelength. I think partly because my subconscious though had registered the word foe. I didn't like lean hard there. It was more just this yeah. casual yeah. observation your brain made, but you don't put a lot of stock in. I, I bought in quick. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And because of that kind of was really, emotionally affected by the overall piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, as a, as a, as a summary here, the, the basic premise is a, this family, uh, mother, father, teen son, teen daughter. Remind me where she disappears is not Lake Mungo. Lake Mungo no. is a separate, like park national park type thing. Yes. Okay. But where she disappears is a natural body of water, right? It's not like yes. just a pool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's in a, a lake, but I don't remember what lake it is, or it might be like a bay or something. Um, um, I'm intentionally trying to set aside all frivolity at this point because <laughs> I want to, I want to let the conversation reflect the material somewhat. And so, in summary, this family, a uh, 16 year old daughter, uh, Alice, and son Matthew. I don't remember the parents' names. Russell, Russell, and uh, June. that's a good question. June. Yeah, uh, yeah, Russell um, and June. On just this swimming outing, the daughter drowns. I mean, they they lose her in this outing. She does not come back to shore with them, which sets off this at least momentary missing persons case. They find a slash her body, uh, and the but the mother does not join the father to ID it, which becomes an interesting plot point later on right um right. and so it, it that's that's the that's the kernel of the narrative or the, the the inciting incident of the plot which is in this documentary style just this family reflecting on the loss of this teen girl and what it becomes over the course of the film is kind of a ghost story kind of a you know there's a little bit of intrigue perpetrated by the teen son uh, but it's all wrapped in this grief thread. Um, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I'll, I'll state the sort of where the narrative goes and, and feel free to interject or correct if you interpret it differently. Sure. Uh, ultimately, sure. so the dad IDs the body. Mom doesn't go with him. This video footage starts to come up because a, um, uh, a medium enters the, the narrative uh, because these mysterious goings on start happening. You learn the mysterious goings on or perhaps perpetrated by the brother. You just learn about this whole inner life and even 
active life that the daughter had that the family was unaware of. And part of which is that she kind of foresaw or had forecasted or had foreknowledge about her impending death. Uh, and, and in fact, one of the most, probably the scariest moment in the film agreed is a moment late in the film where they find, uh, uh, cell phone footage of hers at Lake Mungo, where she's gone on this kind of overnight event with some peers and this, this, what isn't meant to be totally literal, but this doppelganger of her drowned self accosts her out of nowhere. And it, it is a Ugh. very harrowing moment as yeah. you're watching the movie. Um, yeah, it's rattling because what has happened is the father ID early on the mother, because of these goings on begins to question, did the father ID correctly? And so you learn, right. okay, well this visage of the drowned girl is what he saw. And then subsequently what the daughter had seen as well. Um, so, so anyway, long winded way of simply saying it's a grief story about a teenager wrestling with her own mortality, uh, yeah. her, her own just general human feelings and, and that sort of thing. And a family left to deal with her, her absence. Right. Um, and I'm going to kick the door down a little bit here, Reed with a question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that is that is that can have, if you want it to, a bit of a light response to it, but is also meant to be a bit um, reflective and be as open or as not as you want. But the nature of this movie and the and I, I'm thankful to Hunter for recommending it to us because honestly, for much of it, I was like, this is this is by no means traditional in terms of what we cover, right? Um, right in its in its style and in fact again the only real quote-unquote scary part is that the actual like mungo sequence sure right but i think it does such a good job of you know kind of hitting a deep vein in terms of its emotionality Mm -hmm. so so the question for you um and i can respond or you can jump on it if something comes to you is is reed you and i have known each other for a long time but what i don't know of the lackey life is what were you like as a teenager mm. and mm. Uh, you know feel f- the freedom to pause a beat and and sort of reflect a little bit there because because reading reading i don't send each other these questions um so i i know i'm putting you on your heels a little bit but i'll i'll speak a little bit because because there's a way in which what this movie does is centers its emotional energy on that volatile time of youth and adolescence Mm. and self-expression and attachment and connection and um was it this episode yeah it was this episode when i joked about seriousness or not for me oh sure right 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 it's funny because the good news is i would say in a general sense the bulk of my life my personality my persona my how i approach the world is is a generally positive and hopeful energy but um as i as i matured and learned more about things like uh enneagram and personality type and and started to take those things seriously yeah as ideas and not just as corporate speak for you know behavior right expression uh and start um overlaying some of that back um there's a way in which I'm a very wistful person and 
a random anecdote from my teen years that is just interesting to me and, and sort of uh, echoes. And honestly, I hadn't thought much about, but this movie really put me in the headspace of this. So my grandmother, um, without too much divulgent details, one of my parents' side of the family is very maudlin, very mm, mm. kind of in a way that if you observed it writ large, you'd say this is unhealthy. Uh, very. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It's not even negative as in negativity. It's just uh, the word that just came to me to finish the sentence was despairing. So mm. the grandmother on that side of the family, when I was a teenager, my mother told me about this and I don't remember the exact phrasing, but the essence was she referred to me as thinking I was unhappy. Mm. And this is my teen years. So, you yeah, know, right. And that always stayed with me that somebody observed that. Yeah. Yeah. Because in a very real way, I don't know that I would have articulated that. Like if you'd mm. really pressed me in some sort of goodwill hunting style moment, right. I don't know that I was right. like, no, really Robin Williams. I'm unhappy. <laughs> um, right, right. Right. Um, but very much as part of my makeup is this wistfulness, this, <laughs> you know, always looking to something else uh which which you know a, a a negative read on that is kind of selfishness but a lot of right, it is really right. just this weird wistfulness and mm. angstiness that yeah. did i mean <laughs> talk about confession yeah i'm i was not the goth kid but <laughs> I definitely had some Inya on and the lights off as a teenager. I, <laughs> I, I have vivid memory of that. Right, um, right, right. And I don't mean that dirty whatsoever. I just mean like I was no, the, moody, I the moody kid who's like, yeah, let me turn on yeah. the moody Inya music and turn yeah, off the lights because that's normal and healthy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do think there are very distinct, not as in I could point to these moments in time, but I think that wistfulness has log jammed me in my life at moments that I, in ways I don't realize. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like the pining mm. prohibits the presence. I really didn't mean to be alliterative there. Yeah. I understand. But that. yeah, I can see that source as a teenager. Um, Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but but really it's meant to dive into what I think this movie is actually about and just this, just that heaviness. And, and what freaks me out a little bit, if I'm perfectly frank, is just my kids starting to hit that stage and start and yeah, be, needing sure. to be, because it's a, anyway, I asked you the question, I've sort of, at least uh, in broad strokes, addressed it for myself. How, how would you... You know, what, what would you, I meant my answer to be part of this confessional idea of like, right. Of course I was the carefree looked like happy go lucky, but you know, had this wistful energy. What, what was your sort of youthfulness like? So it's hard to, it's hard to articulate because as I look back at my teenage years at four, at, at 40 now and looking back on my teen years, there's a, a majority of the way I look at myself that is negative. 
and not negative in the sense of I am down on myself, but negative in the sense of I see my own ignorance. I see my own self-righteousness. I see my own uh, arrogance. I, I see things that now, to the degree that I've been, talk about confessional, to the degree that I've had to, in my own thoughts, confront the reactions I have, like, say, to patterns I see in my son mm-hmm. and have had to be honest with myself that much of my frustration with those are frustrations at me oh, yeah. looking back at my mm-hmm. younger self. and like, Or in some cases, your current self. But yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> but that, like, you know, I that really he's getting in some in some cases where I'm very frustrated. He's only getting about maybe 50 to 60 percent reaction to him and he's getting at least 30 to 40 percent reaction to me looking back at myself and uh and so it's hard to categorize what i was like because i do know and and like one thing that came to mind as i was thinking about the question is i do think i was spiritual with a tremendous amount of immaturity so i was concerned of spiritual things and reflective and philosophical, but without the life experience or the maturity of self to really wrestle with them in a productive way. Um, so in many ways, a lot of those came off as preachiness, or maybe if there were good qualities in there, they would be to the nines in terms of like how I would manifest myself in terms of like really being like, Oh, if I'm going to have a, a heart-to-heart conversation about Jesus with somebody, then they're, they're going to walk the Roman road and say the sinner's prayer by the end of it. You know, it's like, yeah. like that kind of like hyper-sincerity, if you will. And and to that degree, you know, there's still it, – it's not as if I've dramatically become a different person. Like there were still seeds of empathy that I think were sincere and genuine, um, but they were not tempered by, again, the life experience that – I feel like I'm still only halfway to right now of just, okay, well, here's what I've learned this far. Imagine how much more I will learn now from 40 to whenever I'm, I'm, you know, privileged to be on this earth. Um, and so in many ways, there's a lot of time, like I will say this, and this is probably a bit arrogant of me to say, but like, I will look back on like arguments I had with my dad when I was 15 or 16. And I will look back in my mind's eye of the of the moment when I was arguing about it, and I will most often come away feeling, yeah, I think my younger self's conclusion was right, but dang, what an a hole I was right. being, you know. Like, yeah, you're 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 saying the the posture that I still hold in terms of like the opinion, but man, you're being a jerk about the way that you're going about it, and man, you're being very reductive and 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 feeling like you're intellectually superior and all these other kinds of things that, you know, times. Time has, it was humbling me even then, but it has humbled me now in, in enough ways that I at least have, have grown to listen to it. And, and I, and I was definitely like, I wrestled myself with not, not chemical depression to the degree to where like I was, you know, or like clinical depression, Mm -hmm. but very much situational depression. And in that way that a 16 year old can feel like, well, this is all there is. And so this is going to be the end of my story, period. Every devastation is just like the sure. ultimate devastation. Um, and uh, and so there was a lot of that going on. And maybe there was some good slash creative energy coming out of that. But honestly, most of my teen years, I look back at now with profound frustration. 
at myself and my behavior, even though perhaps ironically, some of the positions I held at the time are still positions I would champion or hold now. I just really regret a lot of the attitude that I had navigating Hmm. through it. I don't know if that, you know, directly responds to your question. Well, what's it's so neat and interesting and, and real time learning that's happening right now, because I'll frame it. Perhaps a, a different frame for a similar question is I watched Lake Mungo mm-hmm. and it produced a very specific emotional frequency. Mm. And I'm curious if a similar effect happened to you or if you approach it differently, because what feels like just happened. And this is, this is, uh, I'm really trying not to be reductive with the usage of this type of language. This is Enneagram type stuff. If ever it existed personality type stuff, like yeah, how people are designed and wired like I asked what I intended as a sort of emotion feelings based question Hmm. and how you engaged it was a philosophical intellectual based response. In other words, how you view the intellectual output of teenage you and, and, and judging or not that thing. Yeah. And so I'm kind of, of course that's very fascinating to me, but also curious, like, what I'm not trying to say is there's a right way to view this movie. I'm asking how you viewed the movie now and trying to figure out, okay, did I, is it just my personality that took what I did from it? Or do you see that in there as well? Am I making any sense? It, you are making a lot of sense. I did not have the same emotional experience to Lake Mungo. Hmm. You did. Hmm. And it did not make me think about the same things in the same way. Interesting. Um, my experience was, and I'll tell you what I zoned in on. It's something that you didn't include in your synopsis, but it, it, almost centers around my feelings in the film is the pivot midway through the film because the Alice has, has drowned. The father has identified the body, but then they begin to experience like, okay, in video footage or photographs or something, they begin to think they see her in the background and, and see her visage. And then there's even a, uh, a, a video footage where like a figure walks across the hallway and they're pretty convinced that that's her. Mm-hmm. But there's a pivot halfway through the film where they reveal that everything they were seeing, the photographs and the video footage had been fabricated by her brother. Right. And that her brother was fabricating all of these things and where that took me mentally in absorbing the film was and this does play into the way I view myself as a teenager. My wife and I, uh, not that long ago, as of this recording, probably three, four weeks ago, just tried to do some closet spring cleaning. Like, mm-hmm. let's go through these shelves, let's reorganize them. And in the process, we came across a couple of uh, photograph albums. But there were photograph albums that the the albums were incomplete and there were loose photographs that needed to sort of be inserted in there. And that process of looking back on photographs from you know back in the day it's it it can be a, its own version of harrowing experience and embarrassing and all these other things but i remember as i was watching lake mungo and it may be connected to that experience of going through some old photographs but it made me think about the ways in which i would constantly try to write my life as i was going but i was trying to write life for my future self like as i was going and in photographs we would take, 
I remember this very specific sensation that maybe my mother would sometimes, uh, you know, want or even I would want of like, hey, let me get a candid shot. But let me kind of stage it a little bit and let me kind of like, you know, I want a candid shot, but it, it still has to like look right, you know, and everything. And and in the ways I was kind of in real time, like writing what my future self would look back on and and remember about those moments. And it was weird as I was watching Lake Mungo. And at first, my impulse is to get very frustrated by the brother of like, man, you're just sitting there fabricating all this stuff like you're compositing an image of your sister over this so that you can put that in their face and say like, oh, look, I think I see Alice in this photograph when he knew he composited an image of Alice over it. He set a TV in the room with a with video footage of her talking so that it would reflect in the mirror so that they would look and see like a mm-hmm. visage in a mirror when he knew it was a TV and a video, you know, on there. And what that made me think about is the ways in which as we document our life through photographs, Facebook posts, social media posts, whatever, as we document our life, the way in which we are probably not being dreadfully honest. Um, Hmm. you know, even, even in some of our more brazen moments, a lot of those are probably hiding behind fear or illusion or disillusion, um, that we are not, they are not, we, we are not really as transparent with ourselves and with the world around us as we probably think we are and the ways in which we are manipulating ourselves. And when Matthew in the film is confronted and, and is, is, is bluntly told, like, why did you do it? And he doesn't know. He doesn't have a good answer. He says, you know, he, he thinks he maybe did it to help his mother or, you know, he doesn't he doesn't really have a good answer for why he's building all these fabrications. And so when I when I think back on that stuff, I do have a very sort of intellectual processing and my heart is very disconnected from it, except hmm. the experience of 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 regret and, and a bit of melancholy that that comes with it of just saying like, oh, yeah, like I didn't. And I don't have that experience about all of my 20s and 30s. I have it very specifically about my teens, hmm. but I don't necessarily have that experience. Like in my 20s, I look back on and I'm and I'm much more affectionate for the person I was then, though there's still plenty of things I would say I didn't know and didn't understand and wish but I had I'd like to point out, you know, you just said, okay, my teen years and a bit of an ambivalence towards that version of you and yeah, then right. expressed great affection at your 20s and 30s self. I mean, yeah. Something real specific bridged that gap. I that mean, is I don't, true. You know, um, I mean, I mean, I def- I graduated college. You did, so that was well, you that was a big college. milestone. Mm-hmm. I went to college, yeah, and, and uh, at that college you know, before you I moved, graduated, I moved across the country. You did. You know, that was a big life experience, I mean, yep. and and I did, yep. you know, but I can't really think there's, of any, you know, there's no real influences uh, nope. or, or your no you know, common denominator like, across those tales no, of no, there's lacking. There's not. Yep. Listeners, listeners, Good what you're know. picking up on is that Nathan and I became friends, in, <laughs> like, I think the year 2000. And so, in you know, this is. And I turned 20 in the year 2000. And so, was you know, really, yes. I turned 20 in 2000. Well, I, I think know. you and I I'm became friends. Was when Either we 99 or 2000, you and I became friends. And so the rest is history, as they say. I don't think it was 99. I think it was 2000. See? So very, very much uh, like. Fresh, uh, sophomore year? It was sophomore year. Okay. So. See, this is why I need you. Is you're the living document of our friendship. <laughs> I'm just the, like it felt fun. 
You know? <laughs> I think I liked it. I've got warm oh. feelings when I think about it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh um, funny. That's really fascinating. Um, okay. Well, what, what do you, where would you like to go? Well, I do think, so what's, what's interesting about the, the piece writ large is, I mean, first of all, it's just a piece of film craft. It's fascinating. Um, I do think that the, you know, the ideas that it's scratching at, I think one of the most haunting things about it to me, and I, I, I don't even really, I don't even really know if this bleeds into specific conversation, but it's one of the most haunting things about it to me was there's an interplay at the end in like the final couple of shots of the film, definitely the final sequence where the mother after in like sort of trying to cope with the fact that her daughter is gone. There's this psychic medium person that comes into their life and is trying to influence them being um, like through sense memory and things like that. And he takes her through this kind of hypnotism thing where Mm -hmm. I don't know if she's truly hypnotized or if he's just sort of guiding her through this dream state where he's like, imagine that you're in the house and shows she goes into the house and she imagines that Alice is there and and she sees, you know, Alice in this space and has a, a, a reaction to it. Well, at the end of the film, a couple of things have been revealed, one of which is that Alice actually visited this same psychic medium right. and uh, and he took her through a kind of a dream state. And the film does a really, I think, rather brilliant, but but rather devastating interplay because it it shows you the prior to her death and disappearance version of Alice talking to the psychic medium. And then also the psychic medium in the future is taking the mom through uh, an extrapolation. And this is after all of the mysteries have been solved or all of the, you know, sort of the unraveling has happened. And in it, you hear Alice, younger Alice, talk about a dream in which she is standing in the house and her mom can't see her and her Mm -hmm. mom doesn't know that she's there. Simultaneous to that, you see the mom going through the house and realizing that Alice is not there anymore. And it it juxtaposes again in a devastating but rather brilliant way how Alice will say, my mom's looking right at me, but I don't think she knows that I'm there. And then the mom is like, yeah, Alice is not here. And it cuts literally back and forth between those things. Meanwhile, interplaying these images and, and one of the getting back to the brother manipulating photographs, I think one of the most haunting masterstrokes of filmmaking is at the end of it. The brother was manipulating the photograph. So, like, one of the main images is of the backyard, and they have a little picket fence. And he made a composite of the image of his sister above the other image so that she's standing kind of on the left of center of the frame. And that's the image that he composited. But during the closing credits, it shows that had he looked into the far right of the film, he would have seen – or yeah, or far right of of the camera image – he would have seen what is ostensibly really her right. sitting in the, you know, so he fabricated something while the real thing was actually in a different part of the photograph. And what that has positioned me to sort of think and maybe pose as a question is, you know, what are we focusing on in the document of our life as we navigate through these milestones, as we navigate through these you know, Facebook will throw a memory at us a year later or four years later or whatever. As we're documenting our life, what are we putting there on purpose for the sake of missing what is really there in the periphery? That's the big 
existential question that that sort of haunts me about this is what are we putting in there intentionally to focus on when something else is there in the periphery that maybe we will only realize in retrospect we should have been more cognizant of and um so yeah that that is that that's what that's what Lake Mungo brings up in me. Uh, I know you kind of giggled with it, but I think that was just because of the weight of the question. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what are you focusing on that you shouldn't while missing what you potentially What's in the should? And specific to be a bit more specific than that, what are you planting as a focal point? Because, again, keeping in mind, like, I'm zoning in on the fact that Matthew fabricated these photographs of a specter of his sister, when in many cases there was a specter of his sister in the same photograph or in the same image, you know, but just, and this is what I think is pretty brilliant about when they reveal that, is earlier in the documentary, I'm just going to call it a documentary, even though I know it's all fiction, Earlier in the documentary, it would zone in on the part of the photograph or the part of the image that Matthew fabricated. And then at the end, it would take you to a completely different part of the same image and show you, but she's standing right here. Right. But she's she's here. And so that's what I keep thinking about, like, as I'm, like, staging things in my life. As if, like, you know what, this is what, this is what I'm going to choose to focus on. This is what I'm choosing to, to plant here. And how tunnel vision just encroaches upon me. And I I zone in on that one thing and miss the peripheral realities, uh, which might be, you know, something that's kind of coming to me is, is a a slightly tilted version of what you're asking, but maybe gets at my comprehension of what you're asking is, is, how are the expectations you're applying to where you see and how you see your loved ones mm. obscuring the the truth of who they are and oh, and, wow. and, right. and which I'm not actually trying to take away from your question. I'm trying to compound no. upon it. So feel free to rebut if, if you think, Hey, that's not what I'm asking. Um, I'll give a very direct anecdote here just tonight. Our oldest kid is 12 in a general sense. We're extremely lucky that um, one that they've, our kids have managed pandemic decently. They weren't in the middle of a ton of different milestones that would have been missed or, you know, deprived. They'd have been deprived of other than simply just what we would call normal schooling routines. <clears throat> but part of that too is they're just decent students, you know? And, and so yeah. we, we're, we're very lucky that we don't have to like hover and helicopter over them to the point that we sometimes take this for granted. Well, my 12 year old, the, in fact, the 10 year old, they share a room came out this evening and she's like, Hey, she's, she's in there crying about her homework. I'm like what? Oh, wow. Yeah. Man. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned Reed, the, the feeling of seeing in your kid, you and the frustration that can cause. Well, part of that too, is in, in answering my own question, my version of your question, the expectations you create about your loved ones that obscure who they are. Like my impulse, I'm going to be real confessional here. My impulse is to get pissed. I'm like, Dad, what, what do you yeah, mean? Right, You're of course, crying of course. about your homework. Come on. 
Like yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. this particular kid is is a <laughs> this is the deep calling to deep is is the feeler. She's the big feeler. She has big feelings. She feels deeply. I'm sorry, yeah. child of mine. I can tell you where you got that from. Um, yeah. And. Uh, I'm going to be the one in a couple of years going in and be like, what do you mean the lights are off and mood music is on? Get off the floor, you weirdo. Um, but <laughs> but I go in and I'm like, one, I'm thinking practically, which is Reed and I have to record in 20 minutes. My thing's more important than your emotions right now. Mm-hmm. But I know if I if I go in, that strong of stanced i'm gonna lose and yeah i'm gonna call you right. and our guest and be like guys i need to, i need another 30 minutes or whatever yeah so i had to like my expectations of hey kid be be whatever the hell we would say is normal or or don't get emotional about your thing i had to go in i had to set aside me a lot of yeah, me right, go in and just right. sit with and be like hey what's going on I had to set aside the uh, the sen- the desire to be like you're making a mountain out of a molehill, and oh just gosh. had to say, Didn't "Let's." If I had a nickel, I know. Let's let's take a few steps and figure out how to climb this little molehill. And and yeah, it to her credit, you know, uh, to both our credit, perhaps, you know, she's she started climbing the hill, and but it took some yeah. steps. Point being, I had to make deliberate effort. To be like, mm-hmm. I can't go in to solve a problem. Here it is. Reed. Yeah. I can't yeah, go in to solve yeah. a problem. I need to come in and see my kid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard. Right. Yeah. Because. It's, yeah. Because we want real bad for all the set decorations to make sense. And mm-hmm. for the version of my kid I placed in the picture to overtake the version of my kid who's over there to the side who is really like i'm kind of here and the 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 ways you're conducting yourself parent are are missing me over here that's yeah yeah you know we and, and i'll i'll even for those who aren't parents i'll take it even a step further we do that to ourselves yeah we do we do it to ourselves we 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 buy in to the lie that certain things are equating to meaning and value. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the the real us is trying to be like, hey, uh, let's just. Uh, Frederick Wheatner right. has a beautiful phrase, and it's "listen to your life." Just listen yeah. to your life. It will, it and and God through it are going to speak. If you, yeah, right. If you right. tilt your ear and not as Matthew does in the film, put your paper dolls of, of things in place. Hopefully it's okay with you that these steps are just revealing themselves as we walk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We make the road by walking. Thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that was Peterson. Um, Mm. I'm going to throw another author at you here because you know what, Reed? I read too. (laughs) Oh, do you? Do you? But, um, because something that is, is baked into what we're articulating here is another impression that came to me of, this is a real clunky question. And so I'm going to throw it in the air. And if it, 
if it lands coherently to you, then we can run with it. But it's how good have you gotten at believing the world quote unquote makes sense. Uh, mm. And because something that did again, talking about the, the, the frequency this movie generated in me was just the frailty and fragility of kind of all of it. Yeah. 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 And coinciding with that, I am, I referenced this a few weeks ago, but I'm reading Gregory Boyle's um, book uh, barking at the choir. And I reference another one of his books, his previous book, probably about a year ago right now, Tattoos on the Heart, uh, works for, not works for, founded uh, what's called Homeboy Industries. And do you know, dadgummit, I just realized uh, there's a Homeboy Bakery. So Homeboy Industries is helping uh, gang members find vocational work and income and and meaning and purpose. And uh, it's really incredible stories these in these two books um but homeboy industries which is the name of the kind of business enterprise has a bunch of manifestations beyond that like there's homeboy bakeries and homegirl bakeries yeah well there's one Mm. of them in lax and i didn't realize that until very recently and i was like i wish i'd known that but in the spirit of this making sense question there's something i wanted to share with you because you're my dear friend and we share these things and and it's Mm -hmm. in the spirit of this and I'm queuing off the, what, what the movie feels like it's doing, which is saying, Hey, stop trying to make everything make sense. Yeah. You know, cause it won't and it doesn't. And Gregory Boyle, who is this, I don't know if he's Franciscan, but he references Roar a decent amount and, and just generally has this real hobbitish, energy about him which is really lovely and beautiful and it's two one small paragraph and then one sentence that really arrested me recently he says he's talking about just the difficulty of expectation and Hmm. how much working with the people he works with can't be you can't use traditional church metrics and which I was about to say this, and it is a little redundant. In fact, capitalistic metrics of success for, for, for how well the people they minister to and are ministered to by them are going to achieve something in life. So this initial small paragraph, he says, some things are random and other things are meant to be in our control. So God is with me when shit happens. And God is rooting for me when I need to decide things. And I'm okay with that. I don't need God to be in charge of my life. I only need God to be at the center of it. And two pages later, he kind of rocked my world with one sentence. Because he's talking about the tragedy. he The the people he has buried in just doing the work that he does. And the tragedy that, and and how how burdensome that can be. He says, I believe that God protects me from nothing, but sustains me in everything. Mm. And I just thought that was so powerful in the spirit of this idea of the world making sense and how much, right, right. how, how much we kick against the goads desperate for it to. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I'm kind of running off a little bit in the ideas <sighs> I mean, here, but want to hear your thoughts or 
new ideas or whatever. So it's something that has been on my mind, you know, a tremendous amount. And it's something that we've talked about off pod. I may have even, it has been so on my mind that I might have even introduced it recently on pod. I just can't quite remember doing so. Um, some friends just last, it was either last night or the night before as of this recording dropped by and these friends, um, attend the church we used to attend mm-hmm. and our mutual friend was my friend Randy yep. who had just recently died and at a certain point while we were just visiting they had literally just come to drop something off to us and so we were all kind of standing in masks at at our doorway them kind of out right outside our doorway and us just right inside of it and just sort of catching up and the conversation did turn to Randy and Randy was only 58 years old. And for the entire year of his life that the cancer sort of, you know, conspired with a number of other factors to, to basically just decimate his body and take him out of this world. Um, there was a tremendous amount of people, a, 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 uh, it might be too much to call it a multitude, but maybe not just an absolute glut of people who were believing for his healing, who were desperate for his healing, who were praying for his healing, um, who were clinging to dreams and prophecies of his healing. And the conversation that sparked between myself and my wife and our friends at our doorway was one about you talk about the, the, the world making sense, and I may need you to repeat the last thing that, that Boyle had written where he's, you know, God doesn't protect me from things but sustains me in things. I think I'm paraphrasing a bit there, but. Uh, uh, it's easy to find right here. I believe that God protects me from nothing but sustains me in everything. Yes, protects me from nothing but sustains me in everything. And here's a statement that I made um, in the midst of that conversation is that ultimately when our faith is rooted in outcomes or in direct response to your question, when our faith is rooted in the world making sense, it is ultimately in my view where I'm sitting right now, a very, maybe very tall house of cards. And I was talking with another friend tangential to the same subject about the really scandalous thing ultimately is we have so in our faith and in our walk of life we have so rooted ourselves in outcomes that I recently received something that was a big blessing and gift to my family to the degree that within a, uh, within a global pandemic, it was very unlikely to have happened. And, and this blessing came about and it was, it was really great. No need to get into all of it right now. But when this good thing came into my life, some members of my world, um, immediately responded with a very, very quick, see, this is because you were faithful in this, and this is because you're honoring God in this, and 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 those kinds of things. And I received that with kindness and received it with gratitude for the sentiment that they were expressing. But then when I was talking with my wife about it, I said, to, to be completely candid, I reject that notion. Sure. I reject the notion for a number of reasons. Number one, it makes the whole thing about me when I don't really feel that way. Uh, secondarily, it is again about this, the world has to make sense. And for the world to make sense, I need a recipe and I need a mm-hmm. formula and I need to be able to control it. And I said to our friends, when I brought this up again, I said, if I embrace 
that that good thing came into my life because I'm doing well, what does that say for stories like Randy? Sure. Because Randy was a very, to his dying breath, was a very faith-filled and faithful individual. Not without his problems, not without his personal sort of sort of difficulties, but one of the most abundantly faithful people that I know. And what does that say about his outcome in that sense? And then I made a rather bold statement. You? As, uh, yeah, I know. As I <laughs> am coming to find out, I am prone to do, apparently. Um, but I made a rather bold statement. I said, what we don't want to admit, this is what I said to our friends, what we don't want to admit is that ultimately it doesn't matter that Daniel was set free from the lion's den, and ultimately it doesn't matter that David killed Goliath, and ultimately it doesn't matter that Esther uh, was not rejected by the king, and ultimately it doesn't matter that the three Hebrew children walked out of the fiery furnace, and ultimately it doesn't matter that David's friend Jonathan died on the battlefield when he didn't deserve it, and ultimately it doesn't matter that um, that Stephen was stoned for a martyr and that every single one of the disciples, save John the Beloved, died a horrendous and horrific death. It Ultimately, those things do not matter. What matters ultimately is the posture that we adopt when we are navigating through this crazy, wild world, knowing that there is someone above, below, around, and in the center of it all who understands far more than we ever possibly could. There's a, there's a Bob Dylan song that has been on my mind a lot, as many of his songs frequently are, but there's a Bob Dylan song called Every Grain of Sand. And the song itself has like three verses and three refrains. And there they the go. Song- it's something like this. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. But in in that in the song Every Grain of Sand, it's liter it's it's about someone wrestling with the complexities of the world and the complexities of themselves and navigating through the difficulties and trials and trying to make sense of it. And I'm pulling up the lyrics right now because I want to make sure that I'm quoting this one piece very, very deliberately because I just find it so powerful. Um, He says towards the end, he says, I hear the ancient footsteps like the motion of the sea. And sometimes I turn and there's someone there, but other times it's only me because I'm hanging in the balance of a perfect finished plan like every sparrow falling and like every grain of sand. And earlier in it, he says in a, in another very just, I find very powerful passage. He says, um, I gaze into the doorway of temptation's angry flame. And every time I pass that way, I always hear my name, but onward in my journey, I come to understand that every hair is numbered just like every grain of sand. And obviously, that's a very profound sort of like um, poetic sensibility. What that speaks to me in this moment and combining all of these different things is fundamentally, there's a ton of things that are not going to make sense. Getting right back to your question. There's a ton of things that are not going to make sense. Sometimes children get sick and sometimes uh, people die and leave us when, I mean, our friends told us that, and this is just this. This just haunts me to a bit. Our friends told us that there there were people who at least momentarily outwardly expressed that they are abandoning the faith because Randy died. Wow. 
and a lot of and and I'm not interested in and I know you wouldn't be either. I'm not interested in unpacking the state of their faith before or after or anything else. Just sure. something something, you know, cataclysm came and they decided, well, I'm going to move on down the road and I'm not I'm not going to continue to embrace believer or, or or profess this thing as a result of these outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so much of where my faith sits at the moment is is not outcome based is not sense making is not trying to stand in the moment and say well i put the penny in and the and the the candy bar drops out or mm-hmm. something you know i'm just penny like, in I'm, a candy bar lizard <laughs> you listen, are an old soul read like <laughs> by, bygone days like really you're going to get a snickers for a penny where are you living like really and not but, where but what era but sincerely not trying to live in this moment where like i need everything to make sense but but to sit here and go like you know i, I resonate so strongly with what was written there that like god protects me from nothing but sustains me in everything can i give Onward- you another um another tool in your belt there Sure. Of that course. that your Randy stuff really speaks out on, and I don't know the people you're referring to, so I can speak of it generically. But that the counterpoint of the folks on the periphery walking away speaks to as well. And Boyle beat this drum in Tattoos on the Heart, and he alluded to it here as well. And he says it would seem that the ultimate measure of health in any community might well reside in our ability. To stand in awe at what folks have to carry rather than in judging how they carry it. Oh, wow. Right. And I, right. what's fascinating, again, it'll sound like I'm judging the people you referenced walking away. But what's fascinating is what has transpired in our comprehension of our the teachings we've received that would make it so that losses, loss sucks. Death sucks. Right, right. Difficult deaths suck even more. By no means should those things be played down. But if anything, I only knew Randy, you know, I met him once or twice, uh, but I know the impact he had on you and I knew the difficult journey of the last season. Right. But it feels like the takeaway here is learn, grow, mature, get wiser at watching how he carried what he had to carry stand in awe at how this person endured yeah instead of judging oh well because this happened right this must not i i can't buy in on a thing and 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 i'm again i'm i'm not intending to set up that dichotomy in a real specific sense it's me looking at my child and standing in awe and saying you are carrying this and it's yeah, hard for right. you. I I, yeah. I can't judge you for that. I just need to enter in into that. Enter yeah. in and shoulder with, right? I mean yes. that. Right. Damn, man. Like Reed, it breaks my heart so much. Just like there aren't tactile physical tasks associated with appropriate living of faith and I understand that and thus it becomes it can easily slip into the theoretical. But right. it's that. It's yeah. it's it's in your moment of of difficulty or or burden it's me just stepping in 
and and yes. putting my shoulder next to you and together us standing. Now you're still going to be a little lower than me. <laughs> I I love you so much, you jackass. <laughs> Maybe that's the faith too. Is I'm taking it right off of you. You're gonna be light as a feather. <laughs> man said you're always gonna be a little lower than me. Oh, but man. but I don't want the point to be lost in my frivolity. Is is simply that, um, you know I I had a a, a, a moment years ago at this point. Because the crappy thing, read the crappy thing, is it's our own fires that are going to shape what faith looks like, if right, it's even going to be right. there. And and so yeah. why that's crappy is it's all going to be theoretical until it's not. Yeah, and right. and and a fire I had to walk through of of uh, my own journey was realizing faith, long suffering is entering in. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I right. still, and I forget it. I forget it. That was in a concentrated season, but clearly I can still easily forget that truth. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's listening to our life. It's living in our life. It's, it's cognizance, awareness, presence that we have to impose upon ourselves to, to remind ourselves, Oh, I should, I should be slow to anger. Yeah, I right. should be abounding in love, which are not theoretical crocheted pillows. It's my 12 year old. I can either be judgmental and mm-hmm. be like, why are mm-hmm. you getting emotional about a math problem? Right. Or I can say, you know what? I can condescend and I can lower two and I can partner with mm-hmm. and together mm-hmm. we can come out of however trivial the world right. considers this moment. You don't. Yeah. And if I further trivialize that, what am I teaching you? Yeah. Right. That your burdens and, and, and difficulties are, are trivial basically. Yes. Right. Anyway, it's, and you using that language of entering in puts me in mind of, of, and I'm worried that I'm going to, I'm worried that I'm going to subvert and undermine the point by what it pinged for me. I'm going to try my best not to, because it, it felt really, it felt really relevant and resonant. The, the, the biggest context or like the most immediate context when anybody uses the word enter in, it's a very specific phrase, enter in the very specific context that my brain with my conditioning and, and the things that I've always most often heard that context uttered is when the priests in biblical days would have to enter into the Holy of Holies. Sure. And, and in those days, it was a treacherous thing for them to do so. In fact, they had to wear bells around their robes and they had to have a rope tied around their waist because if you entered in and you were not blameless you were not worthy to enter into the very presence of god you would drop dead where you stood and if if people on the outside heard that the bells on your robe had ceased ringing they would know to this is dreadful to think about they would know to pull the rope and and take your corpse out of the holy of holies and what it makes me think of is what a scary, scary thing it is to enter in. But there is this notion in the scripture that the moment that Jesus died 
And the moment that he said, it is finished, simultaneous to that, that veil right. that was separating everything out, it ripped from top to bottom. It was a very heavy curtain that presumably, uh, well, I say presumably, it happened. It ripped from from its top to its bottom, symbolically and metaphorically, as as theologians would, would lead us to believe, and as I agree with, giving us an open door to enter into our life with God. Therefore, like, okay, now it doesn't make it any less scary, right? but the path is open to us now and that we now enter into that space and not knowing, as the priests didn't when they entered, if we would be okay or not, and not knowing necessarily, it, just a moment, I know. because the other, the other factor that it leads me to believe is that, that entering in the the element and the component that I feel like we so frequently want to focus on is how do I make myself sustainable inside this thing that I'm entering into? In other words, the judgment of passing, I, I've wrestled with this a lot with my son, is if I enter into this at his level, am I doing him a disservice by enabling things that are not going to equip him for the future? In other words, if I enter into it and validate what might just be a compulsion to to want to you know be lazy or, or a compulsion to want to not have to deal with this right now, am I then enabling or fostering sort of ill bad behavior? And so I keep want to I keep wanting to think about sustainability, which is still formulaic. And to get back to the film, and then I know you raised your hand with a with a concurrent thought. Because then it's like what I keep wanting to do is I keep wanting to put things into it and I keep wanting to plant things and composite things into my moments with my son or my moments with my wife or my moments with my friends or my peers or even conversations like this. I keep wanting to composite things in when there is so much mystery in the periphery that I'm not even paying attention sure. to. And uh, anyway, that was I wanted well, no, to finish that I mean, thought before. you. <clears throat> yes. And I'm and for it. I'm grateful. And I think I, this is. um I'm actually going to redact my usage of the phrase enter in because actually what I mean, and, and it's funny, your Holy of Holies imagery is what informed me of this. Instead of enter in, I'm going to use the phrase condescend because I think that that is what we're called to. That is what we are. Um, that is the example we are given in Christ. Right. And right. I hear in you the longing to like, I don't want to enable my kid in, in possibly cyclical negative behavior or however you might have phrased that just there. Sure. Right. Right. But I do think, you know, sustainability is its own question. What I'm trying to articulate and what I think we both are in, in uh, a certain proximity for my example, it took me choosing to condescend to to come down to my kids level right, right and in the spirit of what we've been talking about to say this all doesn't make sense right we don't right. need it you don't need it to because i'm here with you and yeah. and i can carry this with you now let's mm. Mm. tackle this math problem yeah little right. little baby steps you know what i mean like like yeah because right. sustainability comes after seeing Right. It's like, okay, yeah, if, if right, we're, if we're right. tracking this sort of language is developing, you're not a problem to be solved. You're a, a beloved human to be seen, um, yeah, especially right, in right. relation to me. And so I partner with you. I come to you. 
mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. don't know how to come to me. You, the priest doesn't know how to enter the Holy of Holies. And right. Hear me. Exactly. I'm not yes. elevating us to particular statuses except to say, <laughs> you know, what I was about to say, it's all metaphor. That's not what I mean. But if we're not called to be like Christ, then what the hell's the point? And so, yeah, right. Right. All I'm trying to say is there's a dramatic difference between asking our children to enter our holy presence mm. in which they can't mm. sustain and us choosing to come to them and say, to come down. Um, yes, these emotions you're feeling, they're real. This yes. frustration, perhaps this is your, what you're describing. This, this acting out you're doing, I, I get it. It yeah, doesn't make sense. Right. You're, 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 you're kicking against things that are true and real, which is you want a thing to make sense. And it doesn't. Right. Right. You want math to make sense. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. But I'm here. And, 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 you know, standing in awe at how people carry what they carry and not judging them for how they carry it, you know? Right. No, absolutely. Anyway, I, I, my worry is we haven't honored the film, but I feel like, and I, I sort of phrase this to you. The film is just a fascinating exercise to me. It's, 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 it's meant. I'm glad for this conversation and think no tremendously for myself. You know, I think there's something powerful in your illustration of, you know, what, what are, what, what facsimile are -hmm. you subbing out for the real Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and how do we, because what's interesting, Reed, I thought I had, I actually wrote this down. You were referencing Matthew's rationale. Right, right. He says it wasn't about trying to trick people, but I thought something is better than nothing. Wow. Right, 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 right. Yes. Which, which on a linguistic level begets a whole branch of conversation about some things and nothings of like you, there is a thing. <laughs> yeah. There's not right. nothing. Now yeah. it requires superhuman and supernatural capacity to sort of take that in. Sure. But of course. Instead of placing the the fake version, see the real. Anyway, no, um, see, no, it's absolutely, and I, I love. I'm not, you know, I'm not ramping up to a different talking point because I feel like we're kind of. I, I feel like the conversation's kind of been had, but um, the 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 notion of of condescend is something that's really challenging to me in this moment um, because of the ways in which of the, <clears throat> you know, not not dredging up too big a thing here but the opportunities that i had to condescend and possibly could have been more helpful and chose instead the formula chose instead Mm. instruction chose instead the the way you framed it was just so so perfect and challenging in my mind of choosing like yeah you come into my presence you know and and beware as you do so you know it whether it be with you know child or with with whatever else is going on instead of you know, really and truly, and and uh, uh, listeners do not know him uh, unless you happen to be one of our listeners who you know is in proximity to me and happens happens to have known him. But that was one thing that that Randy, while he walked this earth, was exceptionally gifted at. Is just it, we we talked about this with our friends at the doorway. Of, he was just exceptionally gifted at seeing people mm-hmm. and and just at at looking right at them and maybe not knowing everything that's going on, but just seeing and, and to your point, like condescending and being able to And I to hate how much work it. that requires of me. 
but dad coming yeah, it too. is it is worth it because when yeah. you can do the work and pull it off yeah i mean i don't think it's hyperbole to say the world's better for it i agree you no, know I, to- I wholeheartedly agree and i'm challenged by you know wanting to wanting to do that work and no i i mean get bringing us up into the so so i'll i can I, put Unless a, you can I more... put a fine point on the movie that, yeah, that ties do. us yeah, all together? Yeah. Is yeah. even ignore the exercise Matthew does. Mm-hmm. The whole movie is illustrating how little the parents and the family saw her. Yes. I yes. Mean, exactly. The big secret that she's which not worth getting into right yeah. now, but the big secret that she's holding and yeah, yeah. and you know, the film opens by saying that Alice was a person with secrets and was secretive about the pack, fact that she was <laughs> carrying secrets, you know, and and that that is largely baked into the narrative of the film. And so like honestly, if it's okay with you, I'll yeah. kind of introduce the fog meter with but sort of carrying out of this. So this this film um, in general, and we're about to go to the fog meter, which is our very specific metric of fear and God, which is the way our means of uh, categorizing a film's fear and its substance. A film like this, I think one of the reasons it's so special, and it did like when it came out, it wound up make it, it has since in the 10 years since it's been released, I think it has garnered like a a large number of lists of like one of the greatest horror films you've never seen or heard of or you know whatever else um and it frequently shows up on those kinds of lists but what's interesting about it is that yes it is an exercise but i think that exercise uh if you're on the wavelength has some really uh interesting things to offer and so i'll go ahead and lead in on the fear measurement it's a difficult needle for me to thread because that that one moment mm, that you talk mm. about where she, she's taking a cell phone video uh, a cell phone video and suddenly her future drowned and and distorted self like sort of confronts her <laughs> it's a nightmarish moment mm-hmm. it's it's very freaky and very effective uh that alone i think would be enough to to earn like a 5 or a 6 from my boat uh but the rest of the film just ca- kind of deals more in dread and sort of an unsettling sort of disturbed nature i'm going to give it a little bit of points for that um and and that's why i'm going to land on a 7 for the fear uh measurement what about for you yeah in fact i would i don't know that i would have said dread as much as just for me at least now i don't uh, I don't know if I received it in a specific way or what, but it goes deep quick in the, in the grief meditation. And so, yes. Yeah. Um, that general energy, uh, paired with that scare. Um, I'll, I'll give it a six because I do think I actually had the thought. I was like, this is definitely not, I didn't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't sure. This. Right, and right, so right. it has a lot of anyway. So yeah, I, I would go for a six on scares. Okay. What would you say for the God measurement? What's interesting is I can't tell. And I did a little bit of reading on it. I can't tell if, if they, if they meant it as heavily as I received it. Okay. I understand. Um, yeah. I'm going to give it an eight. Cause I, cause I want to give the benefit of the doubt there. Um, but I, I I received it as a very, you know, not heavy in the sense of it weighs you down, but heavy in the sense of like serious, earnest. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Um, 
I am gonna all I, I I'm I'm gonna carry over my fear measurement. I'm gonna land at a seven because I also feel like it's a film that kind of evokes some of those things, but it is difficult to tell how much of that was baked into the premise and idea and how much of that just sort of unpacked. It's a film we we didn't touch on a lot of like trivial bits or, or or things like that, but it's a film that had a very specific plot line and there are some major plot turns within the narrative of it, but the individual interior scenes were not scripted dialogue. They were improvised. I did not know by that. The, yeah, they were improvised by wow. the actors who knew what they were conveying in the moment but were largely given freedom to just sort of dialogue that out as they as they felt it. Uh, and then there are t- if you know that there are a couple of times in the watching of the film that that will be apparent to you like oh okay this this looks like an actor feeling their way through it but is remarkably naturalistic uh in in, in if you don't know it it is easy to not necessarily r- huh. pick up on that. Um, so that's why I'm giving it a 7 on the god meter uh because I feel like some of the what they stumbled upon they genuinely kind of just stumbled upon um and that means that we give lake mungo written and directed by joel anderson a seven out of ten on the fog meter um but perhaps a harder question to answer is would you recommend it i do i i do think there's a world where though if if you if if hard loss was a personal experience to you that that it could be triggering i mean if i'm being real sincere or if i'm being real honest um, on its own, it's just a really interesting exercise in in discussing yes. grief in a horror with a horror patina to it. Uh, but but anyway, so yeah, yeah. Um, with that identical asterisk, that you know, if 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 you are someone who has recently suffered something, you know, rather profound in the in terms of loss, um, it might be a bit too much for you. That haven't been said. With that asterisk aside, I highly recommend it. Mm. I think it's a fascinating exercise you're unlikely to find another horror film like this yeah i'm not saying another one doesn't exist but yeah um it's 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 different and uh it's it's thoughtful and um you know it it, anybody who has ever like been really enthralled by a lengthy episode of unsolved mysteries might sort of find the Mm. wavelength here you know kind of kind of easy to pick up on um so yeah I, i do recommend like mungo i think it's it's a fascinating fascinating film uh and uh yeah fascinating in its craft and in its execution and and uh even may have some things to ponder and think about after the fact so and i I really want to give a big thank you to hunter robinson for uh recommending it to us for submitting it as his hashtag what scares us entry um so that is our conclusion of this installment of the what scares us uh routine i must confess uh, well, first of all, thank you very, very much, Nathan, for having mm-hmm. this conversation with me. Uh, I really, you know, tremendously appreciate it. Uh, it's given me a lot to think about. It's been one of our listeners may not have picked up on the fact that what you shared and what you unpacked was uh, was one of the more personally challenging things of like, mm-hmm. I'm walking away with a lot to work on in myself that I know I could be significantly better at. And I thank you for that because that challenged me in some really direct ways. Um, so thank you for that. Um, and You're then welcome? next week, yeah, no, it's a, it's <laughs> a very firm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, next week, I'm I'm extremely excited Look for next week. Oh my gosh! So we had a what scares us entry 
that just put Nathan and I on our heels in terms of excitement. Uh, we are extremely eager to get to do this because it totally fits, but I never would have thought yeah. that anybody would have submitted this. Um, and so next week, we are going to... I don't even know the director. I just... I, I, I should have looked it up. But <laughs> next week... That's a we very meta to, statement, though. It's like... No, it's oh, not. Oh, yeah. that's, that's true. That's true. Bastion. We are going to be going next week to the one, the only... Never ending story. Mm. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, you That's heard crazy. it here first that next I'm week. Not totally believing it's gonna happen, but I'll watch well, it. Well, I sure hope so. Yeah. yeah but no, honestly. So next week, the never ending story, that classic uh children's film from the eighties, is and I think it's legitimate. Hear our conversation next week to find out, but I think it's a legitimate what scares us entry. And so, in point of fact, that is where we're going next week. I am extremely excited for it. Yeah. Um, I'm just eager. I'm eager, eager, eager. So, um, check that out uh, in preparation for next week's episode. Nathan, thank you once again Absolutely. for everything. And uh, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Amen. Everyone, we'll see you next week. See you guys. See you next week. Like Mungo. <laughs> the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways start by visiting the fear of for all the latest episodes and news as well as for merchandise and how to contact us you can follow us on twitter at the fear of god on instagram at fear of god podcast or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.